0: You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. It is Thursday, the 16th of February, and we're talking at Brewers baseball today with Adam McAlvey, our Brewers reporter. And uh, Adam, I want to start off by having you give us a, a weather report as you are with the team in spring training, and you are out of the uh, cold confines of uh, Wisconsin. And for my benefit too, because for some reason. They have shut down the heat going into the voiceover booths uh, here at uh, MLB.com. So today it's more of a, a voiceover igloo. So I'm a little chilly, <laughs> and I'm hoping if you can give us a, a warm weather report, it will it will get the blood back to my extremity. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, well, look, I landed here the day before pitchers and catchers reported to Brewers Camp, got my car, got in my hotel, dropped my bags, and went straight to Pestua Peak here In Phoenix to do a good hike. It was a great climb. And I got to the top and looked at the weather, and it was 72 degrees and sunny. So that's pretty much uh, copy and paste for Phoenix at this time of year. It's pretty spectacular.
0: Yeah, well, I'm a little warmer and a lot jealous. So uh, hats off to you uh, for that experience as uh, you're getting to work, of course, uh, with the club in Arizona uh, as we lay out uh, the foundation for what the Brewers are hoping will be a successful 2017 season. Before we talk about current Brewers, want to talk about a now former Brewer, something we did not get to last week, but uh, old friend Chris Carter, now a Yankee. Uh, how shocking <laughs> was that to you? Well, I
1: didn't see the Yankees coming. Um, I'll tell you, I sensed some a little bit of relief in the Brewers front offices that he was able to find a job. Remember, he had Floated, or whether his representative Dave Stewart had floated the idea of maybe going playing overseas um, just because he couldn't get a big league offer that uh, piqued his interest in Major League Baseball. That would have been a real shame for a guy who did everything he was asked of last year, hit 41 home runs, tied Nolan Arenado for the NL lead. To not be able to find a gig would have been very disappointing. And I, I, I think that people were, I don't maybe relieved is not the right word, but they were certainly happy in those Brewers front offices, that a good guy, Chris Carter, uh, who did a good job, was able to find a job and, and remain in Major League Baseball. And now we'll see what happens there, because there are playing time issues there with the Yankees. And, uh, man, would it be a shame for Carter to go out again, do whatever he's asked, and then find himself in the same position for the third straight year. I personally hope that doesn't happen, uh, but he's, he's got a battle on his hands.
0: Yeah, he sure does, and it's a very uh, intriguing uh, fits, uh, you know, Carter in that ballpark. We've seen what he can do. Uh, he's got power, obviously, but especially opposite field power, the short porch in right field in the Bronx, which is what, I don't know, 150 feet from home plate or so yeah. it seems. So he can really feast on that if he gets uh, enough playing time and sees enough pitches to hit. Uh, could be something very interesting to keep an eye on for 2017. But like you said, I think a lot of people, uh, knowing the kind of guy he is, rooting for him to get a big league job. He's got it, and we hope that he makes the most of it here. So getting back to the guys that uh, remain in uh, Brewer's uniforms, uh, your first couple of days there in camp, uh, give me a couple things that have kind of stood out to you, things that have uh, you know caught your eye, caught your ear, as, uh, as the guys all come back together for a brand-new season.
1: Well, look, it's what, what strikes me is that not a lot of things are striking me. In other <laughs> words, when we came to camp last season, it was Craig Council's, First spring training in charge as manager because he hadn't taken over till May in 2015. It was David Stearns and Matt Arnold, uh, first year as GM and assistant GM, kind of in charge of the operation. Uh, there were some new faces on the coaching staff, including Pat Murphy, Craig Council's old college coach. Uh, that made a big difference. Uh, there was a new pitching coach and Derek Johnson. There were a lot of changes last season as camp began, and, and the get-to-know-you that happens every year in every clubhouse around baseball What's happening in the front office here in Milwaukee as well, Uh, that now is over. They're going into year two uh, with this regime, and I think what strikes me is just it's a very, so far it's only a couple of days, just not a lot of big news, kind of just going about the business. Bullpens are happening each day. There's a high number of, uh, or high percentage of the position players are already here, which is no surprise considering the youth that they have throughout the team. It's kind of just, ho-hum here so far, and I I know Craig Council well enough to know that he would love uh, for this entire camp to go as smoothly and quietly as these first couple of days have gone. So that that sort of stands out to me. Now, there are are questions here for this club. Uh, They've got a catcher situation to figure out as they sort of turn the page from the Lucroy Maldonado era. They've got some decisions to make in their starting rotation. So there's going to be uh, news in this camp, but uh, just in terms of the very big picture. It's sort of business as usual.
0: And uh, like you said, I think that's how Craig Council prefers it. Certainly the guys that are uh, in charge, you don't want, uh, you know, turmoil is not the right word, but you you know, you can do without, uh, you know, excitement uh, every single day. You just want to, you know, get down to business and, and do what you do and focus on the little things. And so far, that's kind of what the theme has been from the sounds of it. Uh, in Brewers' camp here in the early going. Now, to focus on one guy in particular, uh, a guy that we tend to focus on a lot, one of our favorites, Willie Peralta. Uh, now, of course, you know, we know the, the story on him. He struggled big time in 2016, but came on very strong at the end. Uh, Final 10 starts, a sub-3 ERA. That was the pitcher the Brewers thought they were going to see at the onset of 2016. Didn't quite happen. Now, it's worth noting that uh, he is going to play for this uh, loaded Dominican Republic team, the defending champions in the upcoming uh, World Baseball Classic. Now, that's obviously going to take him away from Brewers camp and away from those rotation battles for which he does not yet have a spot locked down. He's not a Guerra. He's not a a Davies in that regard. So your take on this, uh, you know, leaving camp for however long he's gone, whether it's a couple of weeks, how much, if any, could that hurt his chances of cracking this rotation?
1: Well, first of all, isn't it amazing that we're talking about last year's opening day starter for the Brewers, and now you're, we're talking about the fact that he doesn't have a job locked <laughs> That is, does not happen every day. Actually, the new rules of the World Baseball Classic are are probably a good thing for Willie Peralta. He is in this designated pitcher pool, so he's only going to be part of the Dominican Republic team for the first round of this tournament. So he, he'll go to Florida in, in early March. I believe he said they'll play a couple of exhibition games against the Orioles and then the first round of the tournament in Miami. Um, and then he'll come back to Brewer's camp, even if, as I think a lot of people expect, the Dominican Republic moves on. That's a good thing. He's, he's, you know, so he'll miss a week. He'll miss one spring training start. And uh, from the point of view of, of battling for a job, that's not going to impact, one way or the other, his ability to do that. Uh, I think it's a good thing versus, as you said, being away from camp for a big chunk of this. That could be a little more problematic, and I think Peralta probably would have had to have a decision to make there. But in this case, he's able to say he participated, he watched him win this thing the last time there was a World Baseball Classic, and the opportunity to take part in it, you can imagine, is pretty special to this guy. And he gets to do it without impacting his day job, basically. So I think this is one of those cases where the new rules are a good thing for this particular
0: player. Yeah, it's a great point that he's in that, as you said, the designated pitcher pool. He's only going to miss, you know, a week tops from the sounds of it. So he gets, uh, you know, best of both worlds. He gets to represent his country, play for a great team, and not miss too much time as he looks to lock down a spot in that rotation. And like you said, you know, a great point. Last year's opening day starter uh, now fighting to be one of the five in Milwaukee's rotation here in 2017. And as far as uh, other roster battles, you you touched on this uh, a little bit. Is that catcher battle uh, the most Intriguing one right now uh, in your eyes, and if so, I know that we talked a couple of weeks ago about the possibility of Matt Wieters. Uh, That's kind of simmered down a a little bit. Have you heard anything more along those lines?
1: No, I haven't, and I I think what what they're saying here is they like the the guys they've got. The Wieters thing is interesting because you just got Boris Player, and we've seen Boris clients uh, show up here in Brewers Camp late in spring training before Kyle Loesch. Being the leader, so there's a, a conduit there uh, between the agent and the owner of this ball club that has worked out before. So I I I, I guess the way to look at it is until Matt Weeder signs somewhere else, the Brewers are still technically in play. But I'll tell you, they like these three guys they've got. They traded for all of them: Jet Bandy, Andrew Susack, and Manny Pena. Not household names by any stretch, but Bandy is a really interesting guy. He looks like a third baseman, and I talked to him. He did play third base in high school. He's a long uh, longer than most catchers, six foot five, and a good all around player, the Brewers think he has power that hasn 't manifested itself in his minor league statistics, but you see off the bat he 's got a good chance here, I think, coming into camp, and then we 'll see what happens at those other two spots. W- what I loved talking to the guys about over the last couple of days, and I just did a story about this, is you know basically you come to into a new team, a new organization, all of those guys have over the last year or so. And you look around, and you have to learn all these new pitchers and gain their trust and gain the trust of the coaches and learn the organization and how they do things all kind of at once. And it seems a daunting task to me. And I talked to each of those guys about how they go about it, and what was really intriguing to me is I kind of got three different answers of where do you start, whether it's just asking them about, as Jet Bandy kind of goes to the X's and O's, what do you throw, what do you like to do? Uh, Andrew Susak was more interested in getting to know the guy's personalities first and let the X's and O's come later. He says that's how Buster Posey taught him to do it in San Francisco. And Manny Pena actually likes to see what the guy can do first before he starts talking to him about what he thinks he can do. And it it, it struck me as kind of an interesting example that there's a lot of different ways uh, to go about being a good catcher in this game. And uh, these guys all kind of think about it in a, a different way.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting because you would think that guys who are cut from the same cloth as far as a position would have the same sorts of uh, you know theories about the best way to go about your job. That's not always the case, especially at the catcher position, as you just uh, illustrated there. And, uh, Adam, I think another question we have to ask here is, is Jet Bandy the coolest name in baseball? If for <laughs> me, it's a top five.
1: It's uh, pretty good. The Brewers have a hard-throwing reliever named Damian Magnifico, which is pretty darn good. (laughs) For some reason, they they had a farmhand. Now I believe he's retired from baseball. His name was Tommy Toledo. (laughs) To me, that's like the best baseball name I've ever heard. Uh, He was one of my favorite guys. But uh, Jet Bandy's pretty good, and there's a story behind it, which everyone is going to have to Google because I forget. It's a combination of his grandfather's name and something else. Which um we'll edit that in later or everyone can just go Google it.
0: I like that. And I remember when he was with the Angels, uh I I came across I came across that story and like you, I don't quite recall the details, but it is some hybrid <laughs> of, of, of some crows, family members' man. names. But uh there is an interesting backstory to that name and uh you which know like
1: neither of us know. <laughs> right, we're, we're, we're do they charge for these podcasts? Yeah, I, really I hope really not. To start
0: <laughs> I, I hope not. We're trying to piece together what little information we can retain, but uh, like you said, Google is everybody's <laughs> friend, so go out there, Google it, uh, Jet Bandy with two T's, and uh, you will have yeah, your answer. We, I,
1: we do know how to spell it. That's, that's true.
0: It. It's something. It's, it's a good starting point. We know there's two T's in Jet. So uh, for the guys out there and ladies listening, yeah, it's a good story. It's out there somewhere. We just don't have it in our heads right now. So, uh, Adam, something we do have in our heads, uh, a story that you have, which was uh, very cool, on Brewers.com regarding uh, Hank Aaron's final two seasons in the major leagues, of course, uh, back in Milwaukee, where it all began with the once uh, Milwaukee Braves. Of course, uh, the Brewers at that time, a very uh, young franchise. And uh, I didn't know until reading the, the article that, uh, for a brief time, Hank Aaron and Robin Yount were teammates, which uh, kind of blew me yep. away. That was that was something. Um you interviewed a lot of great guys, including Robin Yount, uh, Bob Uecker, too, about uh, Hammer and Hank's last two years in Milwaukee. So just kind of walk us through that experience and how uh, great it was for you to kind of put that feature together.
1: Well, first of all, it's Hank Aaron. So I, I, it, anytime you write about him, it's, it's great. Um, sort of as good a man as he was a ball player. And I've been fortunate enough to meet him a couple of times and shake that gigantic mitt he's got. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, I made Robin Yount laugh because I asked him to sort of recall what was the buzz when, when Hank Aaron signed with the team. Just, remember, this was a Brewers franchise. It was only five years old at the time. Right. And he looked at me kind of like, what are you talking about? It's Hank Aaron, the home run king. What was the buzz? <laughs> uh, so for him, he said the hardest part was just trying to figure out how to introduce himself to this guy. He brought in such gravitas to the clubhouse. Really, then you know, fit right in right away and kind of was one of the guys. Now, he was not the same player at that stage of his career, he was into his 40s. You know, he was not the five tool talent he was when he was with the Milwaukee Braves and winning the World Series in 1957 uh, for the fans at County Stadium. I think everybody understood that, but he also did bring something to some of those young players, Robin Young being one of them, playing two seasons alongside Hank Aaron. And uh, was so warmly welcomed by the fans. That's one of the really interesting things uh, is to hear Hank Aaron talk about his time in Milwaukee and really in Wisconsin because his pro career began in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, uh, which if you think about Wisconsin looking like a mitten, it's kind of near the up, up close to the pinky finger. That's where he really got his start in pro ball. And he said he was always treated extremely warmly by the fans uh, in Wisconsin. They never booed him. Even when you know, I think there was an understanding that he wasn't going to hit 40 home runs anymore uh, as a 40-something, but but he still did, uh, uh, you know, draw cheers and and draw crowds to County Stadium, Uh, and there there was a big buzz when Hank Aaron came back to the Brewers. Kind of a way for his career to come full circle, and it seemed like a good time as we were doing a, a series of stories, kind of celebrating Black History Month, to revisit those two years and the return of Hank Aaron to the Brewers.
0: Yeah, I mean, and what a great way to celebrate black history by talking about a guy who was so revolutionary and a guy that many still consider uh, the all-time home run king, uh, 755. And, uh, man, what a what a great story. What a great man. He just turned 83 a couple of weeks ago, and he is uh, still going strong. That is uh, certainly great to hear and great to see and a great place to wrap this one up here on this Thursday. Adam Mccalvey, our thanks to you as always. Enjoy the hiking, the sunshine, the baseball, and everything else down there in Arizona, and we'll do it again